Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Just seven days ago, England's Lionesses finally brought football home. And let's face it, football has been away from home for far too long. And even if you don't like or love football, it was a bright moment in what has been a difficult and dreary time, with China rumbling over Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, Mr Putin using that word nuclear rather a lot lately, and so many other global concerns, rising fuel costs, political infighting. It all gets overwhelming, doesn't it? So a moment of respite and joy was nice as the lionesses, and I describe them like that because they are female, and to call them lions would not only be sexist but inaccurate as the lionesses triumphed at Wembley. So tonight, I'd like to share some reflections on sports, some lessons from the lionesses. And if you're not sporty, please don't switch off because I'd like to talk about how Jesus is delighted to have us on his team and then introduce you to Josie, a fabulous soccer player who's in her mid-70s. Stay with me, Jeff Lucas, here on Lucas on Life on Premier Christian Radio. Our loft is a disaster area. Suitcases that will never see the light of day again battle for space with piles of fading photographs. There are a few horrendous wrought iron table lamps, the design work of tortured souls, lamps that should never ever have seen the light of day in the first place. Our loft looks like the aftermath of Armageddon. It was during my last excursion up in the rafters that I discovered my old school football boots. Running my fingers along the tired, cracked leather still caked with mud from 50 years ago, I remembered one awful day in my inauspicious soccer career. The match itself had been a disaster for me. Ten minutes into the game, our sports teacher come referee had brought the entire match to a halt to ask me why I was playing in the position of centre-forward when I was supposed to be a defender. I blush easily, and that day I glowed like a traffic light as I walked slowly back to my right-back position as my teammates sniggered. But the event that is really etched on my memory happened before the game itself, when the teams were being picked. Do you remember the routine from your school days? Two captains, impossibly intrepid athletes themselves, stand apart from a motley crew of potential teammates who were looking at them with pleading eyes, hearts crying, pick me, please. Obviously, the best players are snapped up quickly, leaving a depressing group of apparent misfits who become more desperate to be selected by the second. Just four of us were left, then three. Then two, then me. One of the captains wrinkled his nose like he was viewing the last turkey in the shop and said, all right, we'll take Lucas then. Blushing time again. Now, I'm not getting precious about this moment in my personal sporting history. Excruciating as it was then, I don't think the experience has marred my psychiatric health. But as I sat in the half-light of the loft and held the old football boots again, I remembered for a moment the shame of being the player that no one wanted, reluctantly chosen because nobody else was available. And then I record some words of Jesus that should cheer up any of us with less than brilliant sporting achievements. He said, 
You did not choose me, but I chose you. We read about it in John 15 and verse 16. Ordinary, messed up people like loudmouth Peter and wandering Thomas and even traitor Judas were picked out of the crowd and given the invitation that changed a lifetime, not just 90 minutes. They were chosen to be his disciples, his apprentices, and he's picked us for his team too. It's remarkable that we've been drafted onto his team. After all, he's the coach who sees every weakness we have. We may fool the crowds, but he sees our clumsy, pathetic attempts in sharp focus. We miss our goals. We find it so easy to foul, and he watches it all. He knows us and still likes us loves us. And he has paid the highest transfer fee in history, his own life, his own bloodshed, so that we could play on his side. The problem is knowing how to play on the Jesus team. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? I've often thought that it was easier for the likes of the original 12 because their selection was made by a physical Jesus and they literally had to put aside their nets or tax collecting to be with him. For us, it may seem a little more complicated. Some suggest that discipleship means that we have to sell everything and give all we own away. But how can that really work? How can we follow Jesus in a world where ethics and goodness and values are scorned and where spirituality is fashionable, but Christians, well, we always seem to get the red card. Is discipleship a lofty term that can really only be used to describe the martyrs of yesteryear or the suffering church of today? We'd better get this sorted out, this discipleship issue, because the Jesus who has picked us has commanded us to go and develop other apprentices for his team. As we look at Jesus and discipleship in John's Gospel, we discover that the life of discipleship is not a dreamy ideal for desert-seeking monks and missionary pioneers, but it's a daily way of life that is accessible and available to all of us. If we're called to make disciples, that means that others should be involved in making us into disciples too. He is all I need is a very old song that celebrates the idea that we don't need anyone in our lives except God himself. It's nice, has a lilting tune, but the idea is surely theologically bankrupt. We need other human beings to help us to become the disciples that Jesus wants us to be. That's why the church is more than a singing club or a biblical lecture centre It's to be the discipling community, the forge where people of character and significance are crafted. Personally, I think that discipleship ought to include volunteering to help clear up other people's lofts. So come on over. There's a free table lamp in it for you. Following the triumph of the Lionesses at Wembley last Sunday, We're reflecting a little on sport in general, maybe some lessons from the Lionesses in particular. And one lesson that I learn is that even older players can be included in the beautiful game. Players like Josie. It was a beautiful shot, the kind of heavenly volley that sends football commentators into verbal overdrive, a punt to launch a brace of slow-motion action replays. The ball rolled gently towards the player who eyed it nervously at first. Tension crackled in the crowd. Suddenly, 
as if anointed by genius, the player stepped back on their right heel and performed a wonderful kick. Hands outstretched, aeroplane-like, poise and balance perfect, foot connected perfectly with leather with a deep, solid thud, scooping it up in a bend-it-like Beckham power drive. It was surely sheer soccer poetry. Somewhere in the distance, a huge crowd rose to their feet as one and gave a deafening cheer. The player, lost in the moment, was oblivious to their roar of approval. The minister looked on, staggered. This was most unexpected, for this perfect kick of the ball was not performed in a stadium or a park, but in the main meeting hall, the sanctuary, some would call it, of a church in mid-Wales. It was late Sunday evening when it happened. Most of the congregation was enjoying that chatty, cuppa-in-hand fellowship moment, the warm, afterglow ritual that caps 10,000 Sunday evening services. The minister watched, feeling the pleasurable tired ache that comes when the sun sets on yet another busy Sunday, enjoying the clinking sound of China and the relaxed atmosphere. The service that had just concluded had been a happy affair. There'd been a refreshing cocktail of laughter and tears and a challenge given that we should think about our faith and not just keep doing the same old things simply because, well, that's what we do. Grace was in the air. One of the children had been playing with a ball when it happened. The football rolled across the fading carpet to Josie, a sprightly lady in her mid-seventies, faithful to God and this church for the past 60 years. What would she do? Perhaps a gentle rebuke about the evils of playing soccer in church buildings? No. Josie was the player. She eyed the ball hungrily and for a few seconds she was 16 years old again and a member of the local girls' soccer team. She had loved the game dearly. Perhaps she was a local star. And then, as she put it, she got saved. Fraternising with the world was not encouraged and sports were considered worldly back then. To have continued on the team would have meant violating the prohibitionist doctrine of separation that was preached at the time. And so, sadly, Josie hung up her soccer boots for the last time and she had not kicked a ball for over half a century or so. There was no angst, for she was not bitter about her loss. She had turned her back on the game and threw all of her energies into the life of the church. And then that late Sunday night ball appeared before her. As Josie said later, Something from the past rose up within me, and so she performed a masterful kick. The minister's mouth fell open, first with amazement and then admiration. Josie said, I realise now that a lot of the things that we were told were sin. Well, they weren't really. As I heard her story, I wondered about the countless Christians that I still meet for whom faith has been less than liberating. Too often I bump into good, kind, sincere believers who are passionately committed to a message of freedom, but who have been squeezed into the painful corsets of fear by second-hand, unthinking dogma. They are the ones who believe in joy, but are nervous of laughter. It is they who occasionally doubt, as all humans do, but they feel like they'd be committing a Judas-like act of betrayal if they admitted their struggles. They are those for whom everything in life has to be productive, 
efficient, and spiritually significant. They have left spontaneity and play and simple down-to-earth fun like discarded toys of their childhood and rejected them now for a stern, almost obsessive discipleship. They need to kick a ball, build a sandcastle, laugh out loud, face their uncertainties, giggle on a Sunday morning. I wonder if perhaps heaven is waiting for the locked-up ones to get a bit more of a life. And when they do take on those small steps of freedom, heaven notices, and somewhere in the distance, a huge crowd rises to their feet as one and gives a deafening cheer, and the player, lost in the moment, is oblivious to their roar of approval. There were just ten seconds left in the football game. It was a nil-nil draw. Sensing that victory was in sight, the crowd tensed as my friend John carefully placed the football to take the corner. All went quiet and I realised that I was unmarked, at least for the moment. The ball arched across the penalty area towards me, too low for a header. Throwing caution to the wind, I took a volley shot. The ball cannoned into the back of the net. Weird one. The team surrounded me in a huddle, all hugs and backslapping and well done. And then the deafening roar of the crowd woke me up. My victory in the beautiful game was just a beautiful dream. As I've said, the reality is that my success as a schoolboy soccer player were limited as in none. The stunning victory of England's fabulous Lionesses brought real joy to my heart. But it also made me realise that many of our dreams are just that. They are dreams. For these ladies, we need to remember that this was one of the greatest moments in their lives. It's been said that sometimes after sporting triumph, a gold at the Olympics, everything can go downhill from there. They've experienced such a mountaintop experience. The dream came true. Perhaps you are living with broken dreams that are far more significant than missing out on a sporting career. Wherever you find yourself tonight, with dreams fulfilled, dreams lost, may you know the grace and peace of God in your life today. And don't forget, I would love to hear from you with any comments, feedback, or suggestions for the program. You can email me at lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. I'll see you next week. Lucas on Life.